Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, everybody ran away from the cross when your son was put there. Help us, Lord, to run to the cross and to see from his head, his hands, his side, that love and that sorrow flow mingled down. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Today, again, we're going to see the bread broken in front of us. Again, we're going to hear these classic words, This is my body, which is broken. And again, our hearts and our minds are going to think about his body that was broken, but much more than his body that was broken, it was his heart that was broken. And when that spear went into the side, sorrow and love, blood and water flow mingled down. And so it was his brokenness with a great cause that because it was that brokenness that resulted in our redemption. You know, as, as, as it says in Isaiah 53, 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. See, it's the brokenness in Isaiah 53, 11 that's described as a travail of soul, a travail of his soul. His brokenness was seen. He shall see of the travail of his soul. It was seen. And when we read travail, we understand this deep, agonizing pain of the body. And on the cross, we know that he suffered a torturous, painful death that could be described as a travail. But that's not the travail of the body here. This is the travail of the soul. He shall see of the travail of his soul. It was the travail of his soul that was seen. Travail of the soul is a broken heart. It's a broken heart of the Lord Jesus. And even before the cross, as the Lord Jesus looked forward to the cross and he could see it, it broke his heart. It broke his heart, as it says in Matthew 26, 37. He took with him Peter and his two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. See, anticipating the cross, this brought him to a verge of just about dying from a broken heart. And that's when he sweat those drops of blood. See, when others saw him, what it says they saw 
In Isaiah 53, 3, they saw he's despised. He's rejected of man. When they go to give him a title, they say, well, that's obviously a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. And it says we hid, we couldn't look anymore. We ran away from the cross. We hid as it were our faces from him. We, he was despised. We esteemed him not. And he said about that in Psalm 69, 20, reproach hath broken my heart and I am full of the heaviness and I look for some to take pity, but there was none and for comforters, but I found none. He was so full of sorrows that his name became a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, and it leads us really to ask the question that the hymn is really asking. Man of sorrows? What a name for the son of God who came. The question is, what sorrows? What sorrows? What were the sorrows that made him a man of sorrows? And the answer is, in Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath carried our sorrows. Those were our sorrows that made him a man of sorrows. What were the griefs that made him acquainted with grief? Acquainted, yada, no, that made him to know griefs. And Isaiah 53, 4 answers that. Surely he hath borne our griefs. Our griefs. Those were our griefs that he bore. Those were our griefs that caused him to be called the man who knew griefs. Why did he do that? Why did he bear our griefs? In Isaiah 53, 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his day, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He bore our griefs. The Lord put him to grief. The Lord put him to our griefs. Why? Why did he put him to our griefs? Who is that? Who put the Lord Jesus Christ to grief? Who is that? It says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed, from Isaiah 53, 5. Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of our peace was upon him. Who wounded him for our transgressions? Who bruised him for our iniquities? Who punished him so that we could have peace? Who caused him to be so beaten that we got healed? Who did this to him? Isaiah 53, 6. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord, who is God the Father. Why did God the Father wound God the Son? Why did God the Father bruise God the Son for our iniquities? Why did he wound him for our transgressions? Isaiah 53, 8. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Isaiah 53, 11. My righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So now we see it was God the Father who cared enough about the transgressions of us, the transgressions of his people, that he wanted to fix them. And God saw that the only way that the transgressions of his people could be fixed was by justification. And the only person who could do that, who could justify us, was God the Son. And when we see God the Father giving his Son to fix our problem of our sins by justifying us through the death of his Son, we ask a question, what must God the Father be like? I mean, have you ever looked at a flower and asked, since God made this flower, 
What must he be like? You know, a little boy asked a friend of mine, Daddy, what is God like? And my friend's answer was, do you want to go to Sunday school? <laughs> the little boy heard the word school. He's horrified and says, no, you know, I want to go to school. The, the little boy didn't want to go to school. He just wanted to know what God was like. Have you ever looked at a flying bird in the sky and asked the question, God made that bird, what must God be like? Have you ever asked the question, when I see when God the Father, what he did to God the Son to justify me, what must God be like? Now, he must be a person who loves to give. He must be a person who loves to love. He must be a person who loves to care for others and to help them. He must be a perfect mixture of strength and gentleness. He must be filled with compassion and concern for others. See, the sorrow-carrying, the grief-bearing, the bearing, the transgression-wounding, the iniquity-bruising, the punishment for peace made him say to the Father in John 12, 27, now is my soul troubled. Now is my soul troubled. In other words, now is my heart broken. His soul was troubled because he was in a state of anguish. The anguish that comes from the feeling of being just hemmed in, trapped, with no way to escape. It was the state of his soul and this anguish that described him in Hebrews 5, 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, was heard and that he feared. That's the Lord Jesus, strong crying and tears. And when he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, he could have also said, this is my heart, which is broken for you. See, when it says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, it means he was a man of a broken heart. Our Savior is a Savior of a broken heart. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the Savior of a broken heart. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the Savior of a travailing soul. And to see him this way, when it says in Isaiah 53, 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior of a broken heart and of a travailing soul. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever had a broken heart and a travailing soul? I mean, do I know a broken heart and a travailing soul? The Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Lord of a broken heart and a travailing soul. The one who dwells inside of us, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Messiah of a broken heart and a travailing soul. So the question is, that was then. Does he still have a broken heart? Does he still have a broken heart today? Does he still have a travailing soul? I mean, that was at the cross. Isn't the cross finished? So isn't the broken heart? He still has a broken heart. He still has a travailing soul. His broken heart did not end at the cross. And he longs to hear an echo in our hearts over what breaks his heart today. Well, what breaks his heart today? What is the Lord travailing now in heaven over? What does he have a broken heart in heaven now? His heart is broken right now in heaven over the lost state of the Jewish people, as he said in Matthew 23, 37, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together? Even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, 
and ye would not. That breaks his heart. That breaks his heart when he said, how often would I have gathered and ye would not? That's a heartbreak for him. And that shows how his heart is broken for the lost Jewish people. When he said in Matthew 8, 11, and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children shall be cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That broke his heart. That breaks his heart. That breaks his heart today. His heart is broken for the Jewish people or the people of the kingdom who are cast into outer darkness. And when he says about Israel in Hosea 13, 9, Oh, Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thy help. His heart's broken. When he sees the Jewish people destroying themselves, refusing to turn to the Lord Jesus, his heart's broken. It's broken now. He's travailing right now over every Jewish person who goes to hell. And he looks for that echo of his broken heart over Israel, like Paul had that echo in his heart in Romans 9, 2, when he said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for my people who are Israelites. But his broken heart is not just for the Jewish people. As it says in 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. He looks on all men. He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus Christ is God. And But he sees. He looks and he sees, but all men are not saved. He looks and he sees, but all men are not coming to the truth, to the knowledge of the truth. And when he sees that all men are not saved and are not coming to the knowledge of the truth, his heart is broken. His soul is put into travail. He has a broken heart. He looks at all men, and his desire is as it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, some men count slackness, long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord Jesus Christ is not willing that any person perish and go to hell. He said in Matthew 7, 13, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way, that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. He is not willing that any soul should perish, yet he sees many perishing and being destroyed in hell. And when he sees those perishing, it breaks his heart. It puts his soul in travail over each sinner that refuses to repent and each sinner who sends himself unnecessarily to hell. His heart's broken over that. He's travailing in heaven right now over every lost person who's going to hell. He looks at his church. He looks at his church today, and he says, 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. But he sees his church, and he sees his church is not coming out of the world. He sees his church is not separating itself from the world. He sees his church is touching the uncleanness of unclean sexual pornography, the perversion. His heart's broken. His heart's travailing in heaven today over the worldliness of the church. He gives to his church his word, which is full of promises. In 2 Corinthians seven eleven. having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. 
But he sees his church as hardly spending five minutes a day reading his promises. They're not using his promises to cleanse themselves from the filthiness of their sins. His heart's broken as he travails in heaven today over the uncleanness in his church. There was a conference of pastors recently in a city. Many pastors came together for a conference, and the hotel owners said that was our record use of pornography on hotel TVs. He looks at his church today, and he says the words of Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of sinners, nor standeth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. But he sees his church. He sees his church walking in the counsel of the ungodly. He sees his church standing in the way of sinners. He sees his church sitting in the seat of the scornful. He sees his church not delighting in his word and not meditating in it day and night, and his heart's broken. It's broken in heaven now. It's a travail over the church that is afraid to stand up for God. He looks at the leaders of his church, and he says to them in Isaiah 52, 11, Depart ye, depart ye. Go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. And he sees the leaders of his church not departing from evil, not ceasing to touch that unclean thing, as I mentioned in this convention. And his heart is broken. It's in travail. It's in travail today, now in heaven. Broken today, now in heaven, over lost Israel. Broken heart in travail of soul right now over a lost world. Broken heart and in travail right now over a worldly church. Broken heart and in travail right now over unclean church leadership. And today, he's looking for an echo. An echo in us of the brokenness of his heart and the travail of his soul. So today, when we hear again the word broken for the bread, let's vow, let's vow to let him find in us an echo of a broken heart and a travailing soul over what breaks his heart and puts his soul in travail. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, and these two verses, 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25, where Peter wrote to us, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So in particular, to focus in on this verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. So to understand communion, we've studied the meaning of the breaking of the bread. And now what we want to do this morning is to turn our concentration over to the self-sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And for that purpose, this verse harnesses our thoughts because it gives us a spotlight that centers our attention with a statement here that's just so full of wonder. We could spend so much time, but it's this statement in verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Those words are wonderful. They're so wonderful as we read them because we read them We can just feel ourselves getting lost in so many different angles, so many different paths of truth that we could explore as we try to understand what is meant by these words, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. 
There's so many truths that just spring out of these 14 words here. They're magnificent. So let's try to just harness our meditation here into one truth that we can extract from this phrase, from this, these 14 words. Four words. Christ bore our sins. Christ bore our sins. How amazing is that? Christ bore our sins. As we think of Christ bore our sins, and we ask a question in our hearts, why? Why did Christ bear our sins? Why was it that Christ bore our sins? And the answer is found in Peter's contemplating on this verse as he writes in verses 24 and 25, he's thinking of a verse, and we can see clearly from verse 25 what Peter is thinking about when he writes, for you were as sheep going astray. See, where Peter uses his words, bear, in verse 24, who his own self bear our sins, and then he goes to the next verse and says, you were as sheep going astray. We know immediately where Peter is contemplating. We know immediately the verse. He is thinking of Isaiah 53, 6. And that's the verse that tells us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, that's where we find these words, all we like sheep have gone astray. And then we understand what Peter meant when he said in verse 25, you were a sheep going astray. But in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, he laid on him the iniquity of us all. We understand that what Peter meant when he said his own self bear our sins. But what Peter has not said from Isaiah 53, 6 is what we can understand from Isaiah 53, 6 is the answer to this question. Why? Why did Christ bear our sins? And the answer is, Christ bore our sins because the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ bore our sins or Christ bore our iniquities because the Lord laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. So now we understand why Christ bore our sins. We can see because this, our sins were laid on him. And now we take this phrase, Christ bore our sins, and we look at this word bore. What does that mean? When it says he bore our sins, we ask the question, what does bore mean? What does it mean in verse 24 when it says that he bare our sins? What's meant by that word bear? It's interesting because the, in the Greek, this word bear is the word anaphero. Anaphero is very graphic because it's really made up of two words, ana and pharaoh, and they're put together. Ana means up, and pharaoh means to carry. So when you put these two words together, and a pharaoh, you have the meaning to carry up, to carry up. And when we put that meaning into verse 24, we could read it like this. Who his own self carried up our sins in his own body on the tree. Let's pray. Help us, Lord. Help us, we pray, to enter in now to the spirit of Calvary that covers it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free 
at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.